when is this gonna come out in the new year? Or we're mm. gonna be like, Happy New Year! <laughs> Welcome to episode 11. My name is Kenny. My name is Will. I'm Selena. I'm Sherry. And today we're going to do a year-end review of some topics that have come up or news stories that have come up in 2018. 2018's over! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Only two more years of (laughs) torture. Yeah. (laughs) And then we've got, uh, and then we've got Doug Ford. Doug, right? Doug Doug Ford. I like how we all hesitated there. Nobody really knows one of the Fords who got into Ontario, and we have lots of years of him. Yeah, so, well, maybe we could start with that. I mean, like, Doug Ford. Um, obviously, his um, government, they're trying to scrap some ed- sex education in schools, so maybe we want to start there. Yeah, so that's uh, my topic for this year in review, because as a teacher, I f- I'm very passionate about this one. So when Doug Ford got into power, he decided one of the things he ran on was that he was going to completely scrap the old sex education. And a lot of the campaign against the sex education came from some religious zealots and some conservative groups. They were talking about how in kindergarten they were learning scientific names for body parts and teaching young children about topics like masturbation, oral sex, and uh, vaginal lubrication. Anal intercourse was presented in a way that students would interpret as carrying no higher risk for sexually transmitted infections, so says the religious group. Okay, so this is what they're saying. Yeah. This, okay, to clarify, this is not the truth. This is not the actual, (laughs) like, reworked curriculum. This is... Uh-huh. What religious groups were saying, and why yes. some people were like vehemently against it without actually knowing what was covered. Okay. Yes, wow. uh, they also campaigned on the idea that being male or female is a quotation mark social construct. Quotation mark. <laughs> I enjoyed that one on the website. I read all this, so you don't have to. <laughs> they were also upset that there was an undertone of sex as something done for pleasure. And in their words, recreational activity, not out of love or marriage. They also said it was age inappropriate. So they put out the whole spectrum of ideas that sex should not be talked about in the curriculum, essentially. I think it makes me also make it seem like they're teaching sex to like kids in grade one, which isn't yeah. the case. It's yeah. definitely it wasn't, not true. Wasn't the plan to talk about start talking about like consent? Mm-hmm. early on like definitely when, when, when they were young but it's not sex per se but it's no. around consent. yeah that was like consent mm-hmm. healthy relationships yeah. probably also body parts earlier on than what's actually done i would think yeah. would i you... have a full breakdown of what oh, I'd love these to hear. differences I would love... are okay hit us up yeah so uh this was a globe and mail article that we will link to in our details and it summed up the changes in each category so The first category that we'll go through is language. In the 2015 curriculum, students learn the names of different body parts, including genitalia, using scientific terminology like penis or vagina, as well as basic personal hygiene by the end of grade one. Now that is the good curriculum that we like that was changed by the Liberal government in 2015, and then the Conservative government went to the interim version, which is 
partly the 2014 version. So like when the 2015 version was going to come out, they decided they were going to put out, the Liberal government was going to put out a new version because we were going by the 1998 version for so many years. So we did a 2014 version that updated everything and then we revised it into the 2015 version, which was the version that we kept until 2018, the sad year. So the interim version, the 2014 and now our version, by the end of grade one, students learn the names of major body parts. So things like arms, uh, legs, without using the names of any genitalia. See, the issue with that, though, is that boys already know what their bits are called, whereas girls never have any idea what's going on down there. Or they know, like, weird words, like pee-pee or vajayjay. Those are non-scientific terms, and I do not think we should teach those to children. Tamagotchi. Yeah, we let my sister go along with that word. I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, we should just give her the real word, but... For some reason, she just calls it that Tamagotchi. Oh, no. toy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how if, that happened. You gotta take care of it but or like, something. I like... thought it was funny, so I went with it. But like, I do think there's real value in actually just teaching kids all the names. She turned out okay. She did. What, but still, what I feel are, like it's a good What were the risks? I mean, someone could have like got her Tamagotchi. And... <laughs> <laughs> or she could have told the teacher like someone t- touched her Tamagotchi. And yeah. wouldn't think anything like, of it. Sure. Yeah. So there totally. are risks when kids can't actually identify, or it's like a really big issue for people who are nonverbal, for children who are nonverbal, and they have to be able to explain, you know, what happened to them. Sometimes there's been cases where they say that my tummy hurts because that's the closest body part that they know or have access to, and they're using communication system. Hmm. Sorry, side note. No, totally. Yeah. So yeah. language is so key for children to understand concepts and be able to like say, "Hey, this kind of hurts," or "Like this happened." Because um, without that language, children can't report or understand those concepts. Yeah, and I mean, kids are smart. They, they. I mean, you can teach them words, and they can, they may use it inappropriately, but it doesn't matter. I mean, as long as they know. Our culture just fears words. I know. Like, yeah. They just fear the uh, icky. I'm putting quotations. The yeah. icky words. <laughs> All right, so that was language. Uh, we also have LGBT gender, ident- gender identity and expression. So the introduction of 2015 curriculum says teachers should always consider the needs of transgender and gender non-conforming students. In grade three, it teaches children that differences make people unique and to respect people with different skin colors, physical abilities, cultural values, gender identities, sexual orientations, and so on. In grade six, students learn to challenge stereotypes about gender roles, sexual orientation, and gender expression and how factors like gender identity, body image, mental health, and so on can affect someone's self-concept. In grade seven, students learn about physical and psychological factors related to decisions about sexual health, such as gender identity and sexual orientation. In grade eight, students learn about different gender identities, such as two-spirit, transgender, uh, intersex, and how factors such as sexual orientation and gender identity can influence people's decisions about sex, and that gay straight student alliances can be sought out as supportive services. What, Get what is, ready. What is two spirit? Uh, so it is the uh, First Nations version of LGBT. So okay. it's what they have had in their culture for you know longer than all our culture existed. I don't even know most of that stuff. And the two spirits was almost like a very respected role 
Interesting. Um, so there's a lot of I don't I can't say it's for all First Nations, but for at least some of the First Nations, they have these two spirit roles, and that was seen as like a positive thing. Whereas I feel like in our culture, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're like not you know binary heterosexual. Like, ooh, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, feel like even in over evolutionary time, you know, the, there was an actual really important role, you know, for you know two spirited individuals, right? Because there's a whole argue, like argument of oh, you know, how did homosexuality survive evolutionary kind of processes? Well, there's there. a TED talk on that, did right? You see it? Yeah, I, I I'm not sure if it's that particular talk, but I definitely have heard talks on. Yeah. on we that should topic. link to that I'll, as well. I will link it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so get ready. The interim version, the version we are at now, students learn about similarities and differences between themselves and others, such as body size and gender in grade two. This version does does mention gender identity in its introduction, but only to flag it as a potentially challenging topic to teach. The introduction also states that students of all gender identities should feel comfortable and free from harassment. This version does not specifically mention that the topic of gender identity be taught in any grades. The word transgender is mentioned once in the glossary using the non-preferred term transgendered. So transgendered would be the psychological disorder uh, word uh, that we have taken out of the... Oh, DSM. (laughs) The DSM. That we've taken it out of the DSM. Yeah, so they don't learn about different gender identities or sexual orientations they don't have to learn about transgender anything like that i think it's wrong i think these kids are exposed to it and because lgbt people have such a higher rate of suicide that these things need to be talked about and not seen as shameful definitely are there any like kids shows where that's like more of a character role now like i feel like there are in media now at least like there are more shows that show that but i just wonder if it's at the right age level like would any grades or any like gay characters like grade six students would be watching on tv i mean grade six students i've heard watch game of thrones and stuff like that so like (laughs) that's not really great role model for sexual education so but they're exposed to a lot of different things is is what i'm meaning and there's a lot of stuff in the media now and it's not it's, enough, though. We can't just be like, oh, the media shows it. We don't have to. No, no. But in terms of it's exposing of some Ellen. variety. Dory. But uh, it still goes back to, sounds like we're going backwards in Ontario. Mm-hmm. What's really the hesitation from parents to want this? Misinformation. And also, like, not tell people being homophobic. Yeah, the religious right does not uh, believe in the LGBT community, really they're highly against it. So for them, when I read their little article about what was wrong with the old curriculum, they, in quotations, put that gender is a social construct. And it's not a social construct. Well, like, it is, but sex is not a social construct. You're male or female, but some people are born male. and There's intersex as well. Well, It still is a social construct in the sense that we created a definition that divided, you know, somewhat of a spectrum, even on sex, you know, because there's varying chromosome pairs and whatnot, and it divides it into two seemingly arbitrary, well, not not completely arbitrary, you know, but arbitrary where we drew the line, mm-hmm. right? And, and of course, there's going to be situations where people don't fit perfectly into those two rigid categories. Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, we're all just people of varying different 
different you know orientations in very various different ways and the majority happen to fall into these two categories but i mean they are ultimately human constructs and i do think there's like a little bit of that like social construct in terms of like gender roles right like the fact that we don't really see it as like a spectrum it's like are you a girl or are you a boy rather than being like oh well you know like biologically a girl but like i like a lot of things i like are typically boy you know and like just let me live rather than having to like put a label on it like and there are a lot of religions that base their religions on the gender roles so i knew a jehovah's witness and she often talked about how men are the working ones and in the household they are the last word and the final say mm-hmm. and then that women are kind of the followers there was also changes that were made in the First Nations Métis and Inuit category. Just as a side note, the Ford government also scrapped the planning of the First Nations Métis and Inuit curriculum that was going to go into schools. So teaching about uh, First Nations uh, and their history and that sort of thing, it was being updated. What was the reason for scrapping that? The Liberals had invested some money in it. The Ford government didn't want to keep investing money in it, so they pulled the funding and scrapped the initiative. So that's fun. Uh, So with the sex ed curriculum, in the 2015 The Good Curriculum, students learned the basic stages of human development in grade two, including a teacher prompt about teachings from different cultures, including First Nations, Métis, and Inuit cultures, about the cycles of birth, life, and death. In grade six, students learn how to build healthy relationships with others and themselves using skills based on First Nations, Métis, and Inuit cultural teachings. In grade eight, students learn about the two-spirit gender identity, which is used by First Nations people to refer, refer to someone with both feminine and masculine spirits. And the interim curriculum, which we are in now, students in grade four learn about teachings of First Nations, Métis, or Inuit cultures to strengthen their relationships. And that is it. What does that mean? That's so vague. It is vague, and you know what? The curriculum doesn't really explain it that much. So a lot of this curriculum that they're going by, the teacher kind of makes some executive decisions on how they will teach it. Yeah, but parents can report directly to the government to complain about what the teachers have decided to teach. That is another aspect of it we can get into maybe after we go through the curriculum because that definitely did happen. So for the abstinence category, the... 2015 version, a teacher prompt urges grade 7 students to be clear in their own minds about what they are comfortable doing, including delaying sexual activity. A prompt in grade 8 notes that abstinence is the only way to be 100% certain about avoiding sexually transmitted infections or unwanted pregnancy. And in the curriculum we have now, students learn that in in grade 7 they learn about abstinence as it relates to healthy sexuality and in grade 8 about the importance of abstinence. The curriculum's introduction instructs teachers to portray abstinence as a positive choice. So that's the old that's the one. That's Jesus. what we're in now. That it's a positive, abstinence is a positive choice and the importance of abstinence. So when teachers are given a curriculum, what does that look like? Like what does a curriculum look like? Is so, it like give them this, give them that? Or is it like generally talk about these topics and you're like okay you have okay so you have different categories and then in each category you have certain things that you have to teach like certain mandatory things and so it'll say 
teach about healthy sexuality and how that is related to abstinence. And then underneath that, they'll have a prompt of something like the teacher could say. Mm, So it's a general, and then they have like a specific of something you could say or an example of it. There's still a lot of like wiggle room, a lot of these things. Yeah, sometimes. In 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 the sex ed curriculum, though, you get into such a gray territory because you've got parents. And parents are very concerned about what their students are learning. And so... You also just generally have, like, teachers' own biases, right? Or teachers' mm-hmm. own comfort level. Like, I remember I had a teacher who wasn't comfortable, so she brought some random nurse. We had a nurse as well. looking toes. That's all I remember. <laughs> but this nurse, like, wasn't engaging. She wasn't our regular teacher. So she came in and said some stuff, right? Where I feel like none of our other courses were taught by someone else. So, like, it just... I don't know. I feel like the teacher has like a big role in actually getting this message across and creating a normal and you know effective learning environment. I agree with you. I think I think that's why it's important to have certain things in the curriculum. So having teachers understanding that students need to learn about what they're comfortable doing and including delaying sexual activity stuff like that having that specifically in there so that teachers can say, okay, here's the checklist of what I need to mm-hmm. to teach. It's a hard topic to teach. It's very embarrassing for everyone. And teachers who are maybe more experienced are less embarrassed by it, but I can't imagine that it would be the most fun to teach a bunch of giggling grade eight students about sex ed. But I think when the teacher's embarrassed, it sends like such a strong message That's across true. that sex mm-hmm. is embarrassing. Yeah. Like I feel like as a teacher, you need to get that up there and own it. And like, sorry, I just love that mean girls coach who's just <laughs> like, if you have sex, you're gonna die. Okay, everyone take a con. Everyone take a con. Okay, get, you know, <laughs> like then you almost have to just be a little bit like, okay, here's sex, guys, because otherwise mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna teach this thing and I'm kind of awkward about it. Because then it's like. Well, she's awkward about it, or you know, I think there teachers. are a lot of teachers who do teach it that way, and then maybe some who feel less comfortable by the, with the yeah. subject who bring in a nurse, like you said. So it's it's tough. I think that you I know, feel like there just also needs to be a lot of education for teachers on how like to get them up to a point that they feel comfortable and like mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it. Well, mm-hmm. probably some of these teachers also need an updated sex education as well. Yeah, people who went through the 1998 curriculum, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of new terms that they have to yes. <laughs> remember. Yeah. Do you guys watch Big Mouth at all? Yes. yes. I, I love that show. You sounded like Coach Steve when you did it, so I started laughing. <laughs> because Coach Steve where, like the kids are educating him because he's like, wait, what? <laughs> What happens? There's a really great episode where they just do this little montage thing of like teaching Coach Steve basically like about sex. He's the gym teacher, the gym and teacher. health teacher. Yeah, he's their gym and health teacher, but like had, is still a virgin and doesn't know anything. So the kids put on these like little skit type things and they teach the teacher about like different forms of protection and like ovarian cysts and like other different concepts Link in the description. No, please put big big nut out there. It's great. Uh, there's also the category of consent. So in the 2015 version, students learn in grade six that consent is defined as a clear yes and that anything else, including silence or uncertainty, is not consent. In grade seven, students learn the importance of clear communication with a romantic partner and all of all aspects of sex, including consent. Consent is taught again in grade eight. And get ready, 
the new curriculum does not mention the con- the concept of consent at all. Uh, consent uh, I'm at surprised all. that the 2015 one only mentions in grade six. You'd think that'd be something that would come up in like grade one. I think that they should in grade one. Because it's this idea that you teaching don't, you're not people. supposed to touch people. Right? Yeah, I think they probably teach like sexual consent at that time. You know? Okay. I mean, they have a hands-off policy right from kindergarten. You know? Yeah, so they but are I feel kind like it's, it's good if you just do that as early on where you're like, well, I wouldn't just go hug someone without asking them or like, you know, what happens when you hug your friend and you realize they react kind of weird. Like, I think you can teach these like indicators of consent. Don't they? Just not in health class. I feel like teachers, like, just, just for playground etiquette, I feel like that's, like, I know that was taught in my public school. I know school, playground really etiquette, strongly. though, they say no, like, hand, like, like no hands or feet. Oh, you're but right. it doesn't okay. say, like, like you could get in trouble for holding your friend's hand sometimes. That's true. Even though it was consensual. They are just, they just do a blanket, well, like, don't touch each other. Do you think kids at that age are, like, psychologically ready to, to start putting themselves like in the perspective in, in the shoes of, a, of another person like just psychologically like yeah. or isn't there like some age before which children aren't able to no, see other one, people as others and that's why they like no that's really young okay at a really young age children start helping other people they have these experiments where like okay. a, like a researcher will like drop something and the little kid will be like oh that's the piece that she needs or like a puzzle piece and the little kid will come and bring it to the person understanding what their objective is and what they're trying to achieve Okay. So they have, like, studies that. So when you're in grade one, you can totally understand that. Okay. And you can understand, like, I don't like it when Sally, you know, holds my hand. Like, that wasn't what's so Sally that you don't like that, or vice versa. Uh, so there was some stuff also on online behavior, but it's it's fairly similar in both curriculums. And then the last one is masturbation. In the 2015 curriculum, teachers are prompted in grade six to explain wet dreams, vaginal lubrication, and masturbation as normal if asked. Exploring one's body or, yeah, so if they are asked about those questions, which usually they they are, then they are prompted to explain those things. And uh, one of the things it also said was exploring one's body by touching or masturbating is something that many people do and find pleasurable. It is common and it is not harmful and is one way of learning about your body. So that's from the curriculum. The new curriculum does not mention masturbation at all. So it's teaching students that the new one is in like the revised one, the like the twenty fourteen. The current one that we're in. Yeah. So we're not teaching our students that sex is normal and that you can participate in it for pleasure. I think it's weird that the children have to ask about masturbation. No, it, was, it wasn't they teach masturbation, didn't they? But they weren't teaching no, about No, they only teach they said they teach if asked. Yeah. But I thought that was, I thought that was so they only teach masturbation if asked? Uh yeah, wet dreams, vaginal lubrication, and masturbation oh. is normal if asked. So if it, if somebody if a student asks you, then you say, oh yeah, it's it's normal, and you can explain it a little bit. Do if they ask mean, anyway, do you not make students ask that? Yes, but if they do really? ask anyway, you okay. might as well just teach it. Like why why make Timmy go? I'm ask assuming the question, that you know? I'm assuming that teachers do teach it anyway. Okay. But then uh, after we got into this new curriculum. The government realized that there was so much pushback that they decided to set up a hotline for parents to call when their teacher teaches something that they are not comfortable with. So Big Brother is out there trying to uh, watch all those teachers, make them not teach their so kids about sex education. That phone line It is still a thing. It is still a thing. Do they? Is there any stats on how many phone calls or any teachers have been? There's been no stats. Penalized for that? 
No, I know a whole bunch of us, including myself, trolled the hotline and sent in emails about how awful the new curriculum is. So I did that. <laughs> they also asked for input from parents. Um, that's continuing until December 15th, and that's the cutoff for input from parents. They said that the old curriculum that the Liberals put in didn't get consent from parents, but they did have a whole bunch of experts who weighed in, a bunch of parents who weighed in. Um, with the consent thing, there was a young girl who really pushed for consent and got the government to change it. I read an article about it. It was great. So, like, there was public input into this. But I feel like it's all these religious groups that and right-wing groups that are so loud about it that mm -hmm. the majority of Ontarians want their children to be educated properly, but, but it's these get, groups. And they're probably weaponizing social media to spread this across yes. their own networks, right? Mm -hmm. And they're spreading, like, misinformation. Right. Yes. And one of the, web, the website that I looked at that was spreading inf misinformation, I believe, is linked to the anti-abortion group Coalition for Life. Mm. Is that what it is? I think that anyway, sounds familiar. Yeah. So I believe they're linked to that, to that as well. That's great that they are uh, uh, forcing our curriculum to change. Uh, that's so uncomfortable. Uh. Yeah, so so that that was 2018. <laughs> I'm looking forward to next year. What's gonna happen? Oh boy, it's Maybe. not gonna change for a while. Yeah, really. It's like until we get a liberal government into Ontario, we can't change that curriculum because it's dictated by our government. Maybe the Irish has figured it out. Yeah, Ireland's been doing some great stuff. So in this past year, they've had two uh, kind of referendums. Um, so they've overturned their blasphemy. The blasphemy law. I can't say that. Blasphemy law. There we go. Which I think is really, I mean, it's kind of shocking that they still had that because they even kind of acknowledge it's like a very medieval type of law. And I think it just generally shows like trends that people are kind of becoming more atheist, although Ireland still in general is a very like Catholic nation. So they actually had 64.85% of the voters vote for yes to remove the prohibition on blasphemy but there's still 35 percent who vote in favor of retaining it so i think that's still really interesting that there's still people who are obviously against it but i think it's great that they have these kind of like specific topic-based referendums like do we even really do referendums in canada no no and i feel like that's such an issue because that way then like stuff flip-flops back and forth like you're saying like the liberals do this and then this happens and then the conservatives come and they're like ha, ah, no we're gonna do that Whereas if you had a referendum where the whole nation is like, no, no, we want this, you know, the next party can't really come in and, like, reverse that. I think it's a good system. Yeah. Um, I wish we had referendums. Don't we also run into risk, though? There's maybe certain issues that... Uh, we should leave we, to the experts. We should, yeah, we should leave to experts, or maybe um, it's a little too taboo. No, I can't think of anything off the top of can it. Or, think, can you think of anything, though, where, like... Climate change initiatives, perhaps, if you had, like, 70%... You think the majority, of, though, would... Like, what issues in Canada do we think where the majority would vote, like, not well, do you know, what, do you know what I'm afraid of would be, like, things around, like, transgender rights? I feel like... Mm. The, okay, that's a good one. The larger population might be hesitant. But what about, like, the public school versus Catholic school system? I think that the majority of Ontarians are in favor of one public school system. A referendum on that would be nice. Yeah. I think the big thing is that when you do referendums as seen by brexit you really <laughs> need to educate 
because that is a perfect example of, of a referendum a, gone wrong. Because <laughs> you can't even force people to ed- be educated, though. Like I feel like even That's with so like funny. voting, you just can't force people to be educated. But I think you can make sure. Like I think in apparently like a huge issue was that like the small group who was like pro Brexit spread all this information. So that people are like, oh, if this is the information, this is what's going on. Like, yeah, of course I want Brexit. And then afterwards realizing, wait a minute. I knew nothing about have... economics. Yeah, I don't know anything about economics. Trade. I don't have a full picture of this. Or a lot of people were like, well, it's never going to go through. Like, are you kidding me? It's just a small group that's like arguing for it. So a lot of people didn't vote, you know? So I agree referendums need to be careful and that education is so key. So the Ireland one was actually really interesting. So they had the um, the blasphemy referendum, but they also had um, for overturning their Eighth um, Amendment, which was actually against abortion. The only situation where a woman could previously get abortion were if, if it was harm um, to the mother and possibly also the child. Um, but if it was like any kind of rape or any other kind of reasoning, you had to go elsewhere, like basically like leave the country to get an abortion. So it was interesting. So over my Facebook, I have a bunch of like Irish friends and I could see all the kind of like campaigns and like there's a lot of people, both sides, yes and no, like firmly trying to like fight that. And I thought that was kind of cool that they're trying to at least get involved and like trying to educate. But fortunately, at least from my viewpoint, um, they did vote to drop the Eighth Amendment. So abortion is now legal in Ireland. Yay, Ireland! Yeah, so overturning blasphemy, overturning abortion laws, um, you mean anti-abortion law? Anti-abortion. So restrictions on abortions okay. or um, the prohibition of blasphemy. So now blasphemy is allowed and abortions are also allowed. Um, and then kind of like one last cool thing about Ireland is also, uh, this was actually a story that took place in 2017 where um, an Irish footballer and his um, fiance were trying to have a humanist wedding but they were told that they would have to have the humanist wedding and then additionally get kind of like a civil registration for their marriage because the humanist ceremony wouldn't be recognized but since then they kind of pushed the government and now there's humanist weddings so this article is from august 2018 and they're talking about all these other humanist weddings that are now taking place and just being able to see that ceremony as just as I don't know, respected. Legally legitimate. Legally legitimate as like the traditionally religious ones. So I don't know. It's really cool seeing Ireland make these great strides. And I think referendums can be positive. I I don't know. Now now that I'm thinking about it, I I don't know if we want that. I guess like Canada is already progressive enough, but I think in certain situations it is really important to just ask the people. I don't know. We can't trust these people. We can't I, I, trust the Kenny. people. <laughs> I would Kenny on look, this one. Look at what happened when we trust the people to vote. <laughs> the people don't know what's going on. It's, it's going to be a mixed bag. You know, we this, half the time the public will agree with what we agree with. Half the time they won't. So it'll be catastrophic. You know, like I, I don't know if it's worth rolling those dice. I mean, yay for Ireland though, because they are such a religious conservative country that it's nice to see them making such good strides. Really great strides, especially in this kind of time. And just the kind of seeing, because I think they're doing it in a referendum style, it shows that it's, like, it's actually what like the, the people as a whole want, rather than like a political party who's like trying to make these changes. Did, so, you know, going back to the education piece, what was different in Ireland compared to Brexit in the UK? Uh, I think a concept like 
do you want abortion, yay or nay, is a little bit more straightforward than, like, do you know anything about economics and what's going to happen to England if we leave the European Union? Well, so, the question was really just, like, do you want to leave the European Union, right? Mm-hmm. People didn't understand the implications of yeah, that. Yeah, whereas I feel like... One's, like, a moral subjective thing, so there really is no wrong answer. I mean... Like, I, yeah, so maybe you could just ask for, like, moral preference subjective things, but anything to do with, you know, the economy or whatever, yeah. or, like, even, even climate change. But, but then trans rights, I see your problem there, too, right? Just because the majority of people might not see that as important doesn't mean that it's not... I think it's, it's, it, it probably really depends on the type of issue and what are the circumstances or, like, consequences of it going either direction, yeah. right? But you couldn't just say certain issues get a referendum and some don't. But I, think, I don't or see why you can't do that. I mean, I, mean, I think it don't, makes don't sense. Don't you think, I mean, I feel like the uh, supporters of, let's say, a certain cause will definitely try to make, like, turn it into referendum issues. So yeah, you but would I have think... to set a lot of guidelines and boundaries. I'm now changing my mind. I'm on your I'm on your side now. I don't want the yeah. referendums. Like I think it, we need, we need that like some referendums could be useful. Yeah. Right? But I, I think we just need to acknowledge that some topics a referendum makes sense, other topics it doesn't. And I mean I just can't think how, of like strict like guide like yeah, how, how do we how, decide how do you what? decide this? Like how how would you form it? But like they so they the referendums that they mentioned this was like legalizing gay marriage, overturning the blasphemy law and overturning the Eighth Amendment, which was against abortion. And I feel like a lot of those things, they do have a huge impact on, like, a population of people, but they don't have as great of an impact on, like, a systematic... Like, it doesn't have as many things to work out. It's kind of like a yes-no versus, like, how do you change the education system? Like, or even voting for one education system. What's the process of doing that? And saying yes-no isn't really enough. It's the same thing with, like, legalizing marijuana. Sure, you could vote, yes, I want to legalize marijuana. No, I think that's fine. I mean, if, if you don't, if, if the population doesn't think something should be illegal, yeah, why is it illegal? I guess it just comes down to then, it needs to be clear of how it is going to be legalized, right? Sure. And it's, like, those specifics of, like, the process of how you're going to do it. Same with, like, probably the abortion of, like, okay, but how, how will abortion centers work? You know, who will have access to it? You know, where And I don't know that the people should have say on on stuff like that because that's where you should go back to the experts to work out Mm -hmm. the nitty-gritty details but i think the experts need to have both of the situations in mind where i feel like with the brexit they're just like yay or nay without actually considering like okay if they choose this this will be the plan and if the this is voted this will be the plan yeah (laughs) versus we're gonna vote and all the pro brexit people said oh we're out of here (laughs) my god so maybe you're right. Maybe you're up for, I think there's maybe a time and a place. I, yeah, I think this is a, like another podcast episode debating. <laughs> yeah. How to Democracy this out. is hard. Yes. I don't think it works. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I agree, but I don't know what's better. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp. Like, I just like I can't think of anything better. But I can think of a number of things better. But just, like the risks and like are they will they last long term? You know, too much power and then you get corruption and yeah. oh, yada yada. I just can't trust people. Me neither. The average person. I just think we should exclude some people from having a vote on a certain issue based on a test you have to write before to get a ballot. You know, it's like, are you... Did they try this uh, in the U.S.? Did they? Yes. That's how they excluded black people. Remember? Uh, No, I don't remember this. Oh, so um, in... Uh, I forgot what 
a decade, but basically black people had to do like a mathematics test. Right. That's dumb. But they haven't had received the training. Yeah. Well, I, that's why I think it should be it should be issue specific. So, for example, it's like I don't think you should you should exclude them from having a vote on all things. It, it, it's more like, like 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 you should shouldn't get a vote on climate change if you don't know the that CO two in the atmosphere if more of it is going to increase the temperature. You know, if you think that all of that science is bull, you know, well then you shouldn't get to have a serious say on this topic that has object because objectively you don't have accurate information to be making a decision. We should you know? go through people's Facebook's pro- Facebook <laughs> profiles and if they have information about conspiracies on uh, emissions and stuff like that, then no vote. Cons- conspiracy theorists are going to hate you for that. Like, so now you're excluding conspiracy theorists from voting. You're just trying to suppress suppress the truth. Oh my gosh, conspiracies on me like, now. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to keep us down, man. The government's coming after us. I agree with this idea of a test, but I think Kenny points out a really big point that that can also be such a huge misuse of power. Yeah. Potentially. Yes. Because Potentially. Who, who administers the test and who gets a say in the questions? Can yeah, yeah. And are there any biases like, or any kind of like systemic disadvantages of people actually making ooh, those ooh. choices? You should let whoever was, was not allowed to vote last year on particular issues should get to weigh in on what they think the question should include for next year. Right, so it's the people being excluded deciding what level of education they think is appropriate to have a say on it, right? I feel like I don't trust that either. <laughs> I don't know. We, 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 we just can't trust people. That's can we move on to a group yeah. that we can trust, or that is too trusting? Yes, there is a group that's too trusting. The Christian missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> we really like that transition. One in particular. <laughs> One in particular who... Um, this a few weeks ago, decided that he wanted to um, promote the Christian faith to a tribal community, uh, the tribal communities on the Sentinel Islands near India. And he decided to visit that island uh, three times. The first time... Three times? Yes. So the first time he went, he got shot with an arrow, so he came back. Okay. Did, did he get injured and have to go to a hospital? No. Okay, no. just got shot at. He was injured. He got he got hit. Okay, okay. So um but so then he did just he just like run off the beach back on No, he's probably on the water yeah. still. So so uh, so actually so how he got to the island is yeah. basically he hired some fishermen from India to take him close to the island. He got onto a separate boat and canoed. Oh. There. So from the canoe I think he yeah. probably got shot at. Yeah. So he got shot at. Okay. Uh he came back and he decided, you know, first time, bad luck, let's try it again. So God goes, needs him no, to go there. No, did he actually say, like, he never, they're bad luck? Like, was he just like, oh, it's just a test from God? Or he probably really a test. I, I, I don't know, but he was quite persistent that he was okay. going to get onto the island. So okay. uh, the second time he got onto the island, the, um, uh, the tribal community destroyed his boat, and he swam back to the fisherman <laughs> boat. But they didn't injure him. No, they did not injure him. Um, they destroyed his vehicle. Yeah. So it really oh, sounds like they really do not want him on the island. Yeah. Um, so the third time he goes back, and that's when he was killed with arrows and killed by the tribal community. Wow, that just so. adds so many more layers. I thought he went once. No. He went three the, times. It was the third time. When third he time's was the charm. Killed. He I has mean, to educate those savages. 
Nobody else is. They you need can't to call find them God. savages. Evie gave him two warnings. Well, let's not call them savages. No, I but didn't he call them savages? Didn't uh, I didn't call he them tribal? No, no, no. But oh, okay. didn't the guy, the missionary, call them savages? I don't remember. The, I've I've read. Maybe that's why they story. shot him. <laughs> I'm using savages. savages in like the term that like would have been used yeah. when people were colonizing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. it's they sound so reasonable. They gave him two warnings. We're like, dude, get off of exactly. our island. And in, in reality, he knew the history of the island. I mean, the tribal community does not want out- outsiders, and they are protected by the Indian government. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to intrude onto their land. Number one, I mean, it's their land. They don't want you there. That's fine. And they have legal status to be on the island from the government. But the other big thing as well is, I mean, from a health perspective, these are isolated people. Mm. Any disease, actually any bacteria that you currently have can potentially kill them. Yeah. And they've been really isolated and... I don't think they have knowledge of that, though. They wouldn't, but this is why the 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 Indian government has uh, uh, specifically indicated that this is a no-go zone. You cannot go... Because so many examples of colonization have passed where, you know, North America, uh, Europeans settling to other uh, regions and just wiping out communities i just i think it's so interesting when there's still these communities that are like these like isolated communities that aren't like part of the global world and i just i'm so curious what they think of these other people and i was assuming the curiosity so either they're not curious or they're just like no no, we're doing our own thing we don't care what you're doing and that's fascinating yeah i mean clearly this group they do not want anything to do with us they've seen boats before they Mm -hmm. they must have they've seen helicopters before because there's footage of yeah, uh, them shooting arrows at helicopters, <laughs> but um, helicopters would be terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I but, feel like they wouldn't kill anyone unless they felt truly threatened, because they tried to do those warning shots. Yeah, How and it just wasn't listened to. In the world, do you go to a population of people that you don't speak the language of, and you're just like, I'm gonna convert you? Apparently, just showing the good book. Oh. It happens so much. Mormons yeah. do it all the time. There was a musical about it. Yeah. It's a good musical. There was, yeah. That's exactly It's a good it musical. <laughs> it worked out in the musical. Maybe he was influenced by the, by the Book of Mormon, the musical. But it just, uh, it's, it aggravates me because, like, now he's a martyr, according to the Christians, right? Oh, really? Is he actually? That is there's definitely some, horrific. There's definitely some postings that have... Uh, set him up to be a martyr and you know what he's he did god's work let's send all of them all of those christian missionaries let's send them all to that island there are too many get all of those natives (laughs) ready with their arrows this is not a very humanist perspective like there's there's obviously a lot of missionaries where they're trying to like support and build up communities and stuff but i think literally just going there to like spread the word is just like Really interesting. I remember being in Thailand and like obviously there everyone um, Buddhist. Anyway, they have a lot of temples there, and it was interesting. I was talking to my parents, and I was like, "Yeah, like you know, like they're not very religious here." And I was like, thought about. It. I was like, "Wait, wait, no, 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 no. There's temples and shrines, absolutely everywhere, but no one tries to talk to you about your religion. No one." They see you as like, you know, you're a traveler, you're a foreigner. Like, we're not going to try and convert you. We're not going to try and share. We'll, we'll talk to you about it if you ask. But I just thought it was so interesting. And I think that's so different than Christianity. Because Christianity, people are very much like, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think they don't 
realize that they're still doing that and I think like well, that's it, it's Mormon. in the book that to do that yeah right it, I, where I am assuming that it's not the same for Buddhism I don't think so no and I feel like that's like a real like annoying piece of religion it's like sure if someone's interested share that but it's great when two people can have different religions and they can just yeah no sometimes is yours okay if you ask two people can't even have different favorite sports teams without getting at each other's throats you know like or even different political views, you know, like, like imagine if, if you felt you had the truth of the universe, yeah. you know, and, and your neighbor was literally going to burn in hell. Like, I mean, I kind of understand why they feel inclined to spread the message, but I, especially when they also believe that, like, you know, their country is being punished by the devil for its sinful ways, you know, and like, it, it's just, it's too big of a, of a, there's too much going on to just say, well, I wish they'd just keep it to themselves. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we need to, that's unrealistic. I mean, from their perspective, they're saving us, right? Right. They're trying to get as many people into heaven as possible. And they're doing But God good. loves me no matter what, even if I don't believe in him, right? What is it my business if somebody else is going to go to hell and I'm going to go to heaven? Like, if that's how they choose to live their life, why am I bothering them about that? I don't know. It's like, I'm sure you have friends who smoke and you're, like, concerned about them, right? Like, you see someone making bad life choices and you're like, I care about you. Like, have you tried not smoking? Or have you tried <laughs> Have you tried atheism? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you, we see people who have, like, behaviors that we see as long-term as, like, you know, negative or destructive or, you know. Like, I feel like we care about people around us. But, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, if you did, you know, if I honestly believe you're going to be tortured for hell and I cared about you, I'd be like, come on. Like, let me show you the good book. Yeah. I mean, Fair. this, this missionary, I mean, it, it just from uh, his friends and family, he did sound like a good guy, was this had all the good intentions in the world. I'm but... sure he wrote in his journal the day before, God, please don't let me die, or something like that. Yeah, like, I heard yeah. That this is sad. It I do, really I do not advocate for death for for missionaries. <laughs> I feel really bad. I, I mean, poor guy that he died. I just wish there was somebody in his corner who's, who would have said to him, like, not... not a good idea. Well, presumably there were those people. I, I think he's also not, like, a, an average case of your average religious person. I mean, he is an outlier. So, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't want to focus on him and, and extrapolate from that experience. Yeah. Because usually uh, a non-outlier would have gone to the island once and turned back. Right. <laughs> after being shot. Right. <laughs> Do you think this will deter religious groups from going there again? It's it just brought enough publicity to it that, honestly, I, it'll probably increase mm-hmm. the amount of people doing stuff like that. It's like no publicity is bad publicity kind of thing, you know? I feel like in these circles, it's like... Anyways, I just... This this was a story that just annoyed me <laughs> because of the uh, the implications on this tribal community if someone yeah. were to like step on their land. Imagine if they all die. You know, you know they catch yeah. some disease. Like I'd be really upset. You know, I. Uh. Anyways, do you do you think if there was like a Mars colony, they would let people come to Mars, or would they like shoot smooth them with arrows? Kenny <laughs> <laughs> and I were smooth. <laughs> you can fire arrows further on Mars, so. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time for poor Will. To... Oh, we can we can skip this for another time. I don't know. I don't tell us about Mars. Give us a sampling. Can you give us Why a sample? Mars? I can give you a sample. Well, 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 let's tie it to like current events. Yeah. I mean, so basically, similar to my experience in coming to know humanism, 
I came to become an avid speaker, advocate, Mars colonization in the near future. And the reasoning behind that is I looked at a lot of current issues in the world and I thought, but like a humanist might, and I thought, what are, so what are the current things that could be improved in the world? How could I positively contribute toward, you know, being part of the, the solution to these problems? And, you know, what is re- realistically in my power to change and, and what isn't? And, and I ended up concluding a somewhat abstract conclusion that if I could advocate for, you know, a future where humanity has begun to colonize Mars, that would be good for Earth, for humanity, you know, for the long-term survival of our species, and for the long-term survival of life in the universe, which I think is, you know, it's, it's important to preserve life in the universe because it would be sad to me if Earth went extinct and you know, who knows if life, if there's life elsewhere, if it's evolved or, you know, we, we don't know yet. So I, I would rather preserve and cherish life. And, and I see setting a colony on Mars up as a first step toward guaranteeing the survival of our species. How does going to Mars preserve Earth? So um, there's a number of ways. So, for example, if we're talking about how the government should spend money, for example. I mean, talking U.S. now, but with uh, NASA. Space Force. <laughs> right. So I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak to the Space Force. I don't even know if that's a thing or not. But um, I mean, Trump seems to think it is. But uh, so money spent on different government programs, no matter what program it is, you know, NASA, you know, whatever, you know, some healthcare program, building, repairing roads, you know, it all has a real world return for that, go- for that country's economy. Um, it can be quantified. So some programs are more or less benefit, like have more or less of a real, real world return uh, for that country than others. So in the case of, uh, of NASA, the return on government investment in space has been estimated to be between 7 to 14%. So that means every time that you spend $100 on space, the the economy benefits $114 or $107. So it's actually like if you had money sitting around and you wanted to increase the the benefit that you're getting from that money, spending it in space would actually produce more money in the economy where where people I think see that's just like a a cost. Like you're throwing money into a void and then it's gone and that money could have been used elsewhere. But ultimately it's by by stimulating the economy and, and producing more economic growth and economic benefit, uh, we'll actually have more resources to spend on the other things as well. So, um, so that, that's kind of one key thing is you have to think about uh, you know, government spending on programs as investments in themselves. And in the case of, of uh, money spent in space, it is increasing the amount of resources that those countries then have to spend on other things. So here's how that's flushed out. So the returns generated in a number of ways, including through the development of new technologies um, and those specific to Mars colonization uh, would be water purification technology, learning to have larger farm yields using less space through hydroponics and GMO research, air purification techniques, and gathering data on how Mars lost its atmosphere to better understand global warming on our own planet. Um, and there's just going to be so many countless things we just would not be able to even dream of right now. Because, right. So, for example, you know... The Apollo missions, uh, right? Yeah, like like uh, uh, almost like almost 100 years ago, like, People were looking at uh, or figured out the concept of like MRIs, like magnetic uh, yeah. resonance. Mm-hmm. 
no one had no idea what to even do with this right. until like maybe in I think 60s or 70s someone figured out wait we can see use this to kind of figure out the vibrations of atoms couldn't we just point it at a body and right <laughs> like no one did the link between uh, this uh, physics research and medical research yeah. until decades later so mm -hmm. so you, you can look at the Apollo missions to go to the moon and you can say well look how many billions we spent on that and if we've taken those billions and fed children or put it toward any whatever cause it is that you personally think we should spend that money on, well, then we would have missed out on countless benefits that were current that are currently benefiting our economy, and ultimately we would end up doing less for these other causes because we would have lost that economic and scientific advancement. Can you tell us what's happened this year with Mars? So Mars is has kind of been the goal since the Apollo missions, but lately, like, I mean, but then what happened is, uh, you know, a number of things happened. I, I won't get into the long story now, but pretty much advancement in space fell off and, and we stopped going past low Earth orbit. And recently there's been a resurgence, uh, mainly by private companies and, and, you know, kind of like individuals in society, not so much governments, Elon Musk, I heard he's going Elon to Musk, Mars. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, the you know uh, the Amazon uh, founder, richest man in the world. Who's, who's there's Bigelow, uh, who's uh, uh, Richard Branson. Yeah, Richard Branson. Um, so there's a number of, of independent billionaires currently who are, have founded a number of companies, such as Space Elon Musk, SpaceX, um, you know Blue Origins with uh, Jeff Bezos, and and a lot of those are focused on. Um, not specifically Mars. SpaceX is focused on specifically Mars, but uh, but they're all focused on rocket technology and lowering the costs of putting things into space because that's always been the biggest barrier in the way of doing anything in space is if it is if it's going to cost you you know a hundred million dollars to put you know a couple pounds up in in, in orbit well you're not going to do a lot up in orbit but if you can bring that cost down you know by a thousand times which is what SpaceX has currently been doing by introducing reusable rocket technology. Uh, the analogy that's that's often cited is um, if you imagine the cost of using uh, an airliner to fly to a different continent, um, how much a ticket would cost every time the way that the plane worked is you would build the plane, board it, it would fly, and then just as you're going to the other continent, and just as you're over the continent, you jump out in a parachute and the plane just crashes. Well, the tickets to board that flight would have to be enough to, co to cover the entire cost of building, you know, a 147 or, or whatever the, the planes are, 747 aircraft. So it just would not be economical to do that. Where the reason why we can use planes and, and it makes sense economically is because we land them, refuel them, and then fly them back and use them multiple times without having to refurbish them too much. It's really just the cost of fuel and, and the airline attendants. So a similar transition, has, a paradigm shift has just happened with rocket technology in, in recent years where SpaceX has successfully been, uh, designed a rocket that for the first time will go up, land back down on Earth, more or less intact, and then with only a little bit of refurbishment currently, which they're working towards zero refurbishment and reflight times within the same day, um, you just refuel it and send it off again. And that's already brought the cost of, of putting stuff in space down astronomically uh, uh, good pun, Will. <laughs> yeah. um, but really like it, it's it's a paradigm shift in the industry in, in, in and so everything space is going to be blowing up 
in the near future, um, just because of cost savings and, and new vehicles are, are being developed and proposed um, and funded at, at, at an astounding rate that's really, really revolutionizing this space. So, so that all is, is only peripherally related to, to Mars colonization, but cost being the biggest downside or the biggest impediment to Mars colonization. We really are on the cusp of, of an entirely new space race, um, which not only will be really exciting in my view, but uh, will have ridiculous uh, you know, returns, real returns for the, this investment. And, and a good thing is that even if you don't necessarily agree that this investment will yield benefit results for, for Earth, it's not really the governments who are even doing it anymore. It's these private companies. So, I mean, would you rather Jeff Bezos buy a billion-dollar mansion or invest in bringing down the cost of rocket technology, right? So these are, these are billionaires using their own funds and private companies getting investment from other private companies without reliance very much on the taxpayer. So, yeah, it's going that way whether or not the government's on board or not. And, uh, yeah. It's funny that it took so long. It took private investors in order to get technology that's reusable. Yeah. And the reason for that is because, you know, the current big guns in the industry, like, you know, the the Russian manufacturers. Um, Dude, they're still using the same spacecrafts. Like, they haven't actually updated their Soyuz very much. Since the 80s. Yeah, it's yeah. literally. So, it's and the same. Because it's, <laughs> it all, it's all economics, right? Um, but it's also how it was structured, um, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, rocket development was funded by the government to mm-hmm. these uh, contractors. I mean, the cost to build these custom, basically the, the right incentives weren't in place, right? Because right. the contractors, they, they just want more and more money. So that if they have delays, they just, this, you, oh, can't, you can't get this rocket. More profits, you, right? Yeah. yeah. So now there's finally competition. Um, and, and that's the key. So the competition has been introduced to the industry, and that's driving innovation. I mean, it's the same with what Elon Musk did with electric cars. Right? And, and we should keep in mind, I mean, really, really, this came from the government because it was the U.S. government that, insist, that set up the right programs to actually start commercial uh, development. Okay, so so yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, partnership with yeah. t- SpaceX partnership. But with they the, knew with this was the case because, I mean, they totally understood the concept of... Yeah. Uh, you know, needing to commercialize in order to reduce costs because if they just solely relied on a single contractor, they're just going to get screwed. Yeah. So uh, I, guess, I guess I'll move on uh, to some other benefits I see from uh, a Mars colony for Earth, other than just the investment side, is I feel that a, Mar- a Martian colony would ease political tensions on Earth and could increase cooperation between governments um, and reduce, you know, the potential for war and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, a great example of that already is the International Space Station. Exactly. Which has so many different groups working together. Yeah, so uh, so uh, basically what I have here is um, it's been shown through projects like the International Space Station, the Large Hadron Collider, um, ITER, which is a... It's uh, a fusion. Right. Uh, right. That, that when governments cooperate on large projects, it acts as an incentive for them to work, to work peacefully together in other areas as well. Mm. It's a deterrent to war and other forms of conflict between nations. Um, you know, because like Russia and the U.S. both having such an investment and a stake in the International Space Station, they have to work cooperatively there. Right. So so if, if, and the more projects that are in internationally con- like connected, you know, the, the more de-incentivized these governments are to just... You know, deteriorate relations with each other. So that's always been. A, so and I think a Martian colony would be a massive inter international, you know, collaborative effort. 
and and that would be good for you know government uh, cooperation. But also, I think that psychologically, like it could motivate in- individuals to see the perspective that we're all in this together on a tiny rock floating through space. You know, kind of the perspective if you've ever seen uh, Pale Blue Dot, mm-hmm. uh, Carl Sagan's speech on this. You know, it, it gives us perspective. You know, the, the, the right now it's an us versus them mentality between our neighboring countries, right? But, you know, it could, it could create, but I don't think anyone really thinks of the world or, you know, Earth as, as an us. But when, once there's an Earth and a, and a Mars, you know, it, maybe it will it'll make some strides. I mean, it's a reach, but I'm hoping that in, in, in the long term, it, it can increase our, our perspective. It's also just really inspiring um, just because it'll take so many different groups of people and so many nations that it will feel like something that was accomplished on kind of a global scale. And I feel like it's so cool also for like children and like, yeah. you know, encouraging I think it'll spur like quite a lot of innovation because there's, you know, how what what does uh, education look like on Mars and what yeah. governments would look like. I mean, it would spur some different What does, what does the first pizza place look like on Mars? Exactly. <laughs> Is there pizza on Mars? What does that pizza look like? <laughs> well, any anyone can can create the first pizza joint on Mars. You know, once once there's people living up there. Now, I, I think I think the last obvious benefit from something like this would be uh, would be inspiring the next generation of physicists and you know and and STEM. You know, like like kids growing up knowing that if they work hard in school and if they study, they could lead a new frontier. You know, they could go. Have an important, you know, role in, in in spreading humanity across the cosmos. You know, like or like that's a really interesting, exciting career option. And there would be so many, you know, uh, like high knowledge, you know, STEM uh, type jobs that would that would be in high demand. And, and I think it'd, it'd be great for motivating uh, our next generation to to work hard in school and 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 you know pick pick that career path. And like also, that. again, this idea of collaboration, right? Because it's not yeah. the idea that you're going to be that lone astronaut or that lone engineer trying to work on some kind of problem. No, you're going to be part of a bigger picture. I think that's really cool, like being part of this like global project, which is just being done for the very first time is so cool. Yeah, yeah it'll be fun. Yeah, so um, do you have any other, any other questions? Well, recently I saw an article, I, I, I kind of breezed past it, but... There was an article that the space rocket going to Mars uh, crash landed, did it? Or I can't remember. Did no, we the, land the, on Mars? There, what, did we, we did land, land there? We, did, we land uh, the InSight probe we did. on Mars. And that probe is meant to basically measure seismic. seismic. Psych- yeah, seismic. Psych- uh, sure. yep. it, it's, it measures it's, the vibrations in the ground. <laughs> it's trying to figure out, you know, yeah. what... Uh, seismic? Seismic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying Sorry. to think what's a word. I like seismic, though. That's a cool seismic. word. Uh, yeah, it's just measuring, um, you know, different stuff uh, within Martian interior to try and get an idea of the composition uh, of the interior of the planet. Um, it's doing a lot of other things, too. So that, that's, you know, pushing the frontier of, of science and learning. But really, I think that once we get astronauts' boots on the ground there, they'll be able to do work in science and research that, you know... That's a different pace. So e- even, even just from a, I think, from a financial perspective, I mean, how many robots you'd have to send and how much it costs to send these robots... You know, all of their tasks could be accomplished by one human put there for a year on an outpost or two years or whatnot. Um, and so, I mean, if you take the billions we're already investing in sending these probes and just shift that to sending a human, I don't really see too much cost inefficiency. Yeah. 
I mean, for me, wh why I think this is important, it's kind of from a longer timeline, if you kind of, like, let's envision the timeline extending out to thousands of years. Yeah. There's no way current life in, on Earth could extend beyond Earth without right. us taking some first steps. And this is kind of the first step. And we, we know that Earth only has a finite time scale. Right. I know it's still in the millions, millions of years, but, but humanity only has yeah. a finite time scale that's exactly. much less than Earth's time scale. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but but really, when you kind of look from a, a much longer timeline, um, there's no way either our ancestors, not ancestors, our um, descendants, descendants would be able to uh, reach beyond Earth unless we start now. Mm -hmm. Essentially, can I can I flesh out that argument? Do we have time? It's just it'll uh, take a second. Or, two minutes. Okay, I can't do it in two minutes, so I'll, I'll skip that whole thing. That is that is the, the main reason why why I think it's important that humanity makes this step is is the preservation of life in the universe. I won't get into yeah. how I feel this contributes to that. Will has a ten thousand word essay in front of him. <laughs> He's do. got a passion for Mars. I think we should have an episode on Mars at some point. We can. Uh, I'll, 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 as quickly in two minutes, I can cover uh, two common misconceptions about the whole Mars thing. So, so one is the idea that so so some people have the view that people are awful and everything we touch we ruin, as if humanity is some kind of disease or you know right like the whole Matrix. You know, you're a virus, right? Therefore, we should leave the universe alone. And it may, that may be true on Earth that we do more harm than good to nature because our environments are so perfectly balanced by evolutionary processes that uh, any way that we decide to, to change or influence them just throws off this perfect balance and, and that causes you know, negative effects on the ecosystems. But this isn't true of other worlds because they're already dead and barren and anything we do to these other worlds can only add to or improve them. The only compelling argument I've heard along those lines is this idea that maybe there is life on Mars, and by us physically going there, we're going to ruin our chances of actually being able to conclusively say, look, we found life on Mars. Because yes. Because we're there, we won't know if we brought it there or if it's there. That's the only compelling argument. No, that, that's a fair point. Um, I mean, and we do have to be careful not to contaminate the planet, you know, just, just for the sake of our own science and understanding. Yeah. Like, not, not, I wouldn't say from a moral perspective. No. I don't think it really matters if... Martian bio biology ends up coexisting with human biology and like like whatever. Uh, but I do think from a scientific uh, standpoint, it's important that we that we make sure we don't ruin any chances to have uh, you know to, to to analyze Mars before we contaminate it. I guess you could say, but more so is just like the ethical implications of not spreading life as if mm -hmm. life is some inherent or humanity is some inherently negative thing. Yeah. I think that that you know life is a is, is the most beautiful thing in the universe and we are uniquely situated right now in, in a, with our capabilities to be able to spread life not just human life but even to seed the beginnings of bacterial life in other worlds that even if we do go extinct late, long after us there'll be new evolutionary chains on new worlds and 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 soon we'll have and we could be the catalyst of populating our dead barren galaxy with new exciting evolutionary chains of biological life and and I, I imagine a universe or a future like Kenny was saying where where that happens and where the universe is teeming with life and but what if someone catalyzed earth 
<laughs> well, then it's, no, 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 it's, it's, it's a good no, thing that no, we have other worlds, you know, because yeah. So, so that that's that's that one. It, it, is I don't I don't really agree with the sentiment that humans are inherently a negative thing, and that if we go extinct, that's a positive thing. Because additionally, I think that for all our flaws and, and all of our weaknesses currently, you know, we're not quite as rational or we're not quite as kind as we could be. I think that we're currently in our infancy as a species. And, um, and what we could become in, on an evolutionary timescale, or I mean, if we've been around for a couple hundred, hundred, or a hundred thousand meaningful years of humanity, well, we're talking millions and billions and billions of years in the future. What we could become as a species will be, could be so different and so much, it will net by necessity be so much better than we currently are. You know, the better elements of our nature will necessarily have to win and come through or else we will go extinct. So, I mean, in, in future timescales, we'll have a number of planets out there and the ones that go extinct are going to be the ones that let our greed and our anger and our viciousness succeed. But those worlds that go extinct will then be colonized by the worlds that succeeded and, and our kindness and love for each other and, and whatnot succeeded and, and ultimately will evolve into a much better humanity. So you know whatever we think is are the negatives of our of our species now doesn't really matter because we're just in our infancy and if we can just get out to the stars we can we can you know achieve our true potential and hopefully spread life to the universe. I think you're too optimistic because going back to my <laughs> argument on I don't trust people. I also <laughs> don't trust people <laughs> yeah. traveling into space and <laughs> using love. <laughs> so, no, I think it's more the idea that like corruption will just like destroy, like implode in and of itself. Yeah, it's more the idea that it might go spread, but eventually won't make like, it. As far as survival goes, I think that the the, the negative elements of our nature are counterproductive to our species survival. So when you have a number of different of different test cases, so a number of different planets that all have, you know, their own societies, their own governments, you know, new ways of forming human society, you know, that we might not have experienced on earth. You know, the ones that that are prone to, you know, to utilize those negative elements of our nature, I think that they will inevitably go extinct. I, I think not not necessarily, but I think that most of our negative, you know, our, our inability to, to think into the future, our our selfishness, you know, all, all of those, our inability to work together. I think I think all of those things will result in those worlds going extinct, and in the long run, evolutionary processes will will lead us slowly but surely toward our better nature. That's not what I saw in Star Trek. So. <laughs> anyway, we can have a whole other discussion. Um, yeah, we have a whole other okay. discussion on let, that. Let's have another podcast on Mars, and we'll go through <laughs> point by point <laughs> on Mars. But uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on our year-end review podcast, and we'll see you guys in 2019. Yay! Happy Peace. New Year, guys! Bye!